Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit's Ramblings, Podcast 90. Oh my god, I can't believe I made so many podcasts. This time I talk about Don't Starve, which technically is in beta, but it's going to release in like a month and a half, maybe two months, I think. So it's basically ready to go. I talk about the surprise announcement from NVIDIA about their Project Shield, which I'm sure everybody's just going to call Shield. And Looper is now out for rental or purchase. So I watch that and talk about that. And since I don't have another big game that I really want to talk about or that I got recently, I will ramble a bit on why the hell am I still playing League of Legends. Enjoy the show! have a new game which is technically still in beta called Don't Starve. It's by Clay Entertainment which may sound familiar to regular listeners as I just reviewed Mark of the Ninja which was also by them. I guess it officially launches I think in March and if you pre-buy it now you get into the beta so it's basically out now because I mean it seems pretty complete. It's very cool. It is out for Steam and Google Chrome so I guess you can play it through your browser. It is kind of a difficult game to describe. I guess I would call it gathering survival. You are a guy, and as you play, you will unlock new characters. I've only unlocked one character besides the basic guy. And it generates this random world and puts different things into the world. And you have to basically survive and not starve and not get killed by monsters. Early on, I think the game is a lot more focused on not starving. And once you get, you know, a a decent supply of food in your stash for a few days, you can start exploring a little bit more. The areas are sort of in circles, and then it branches out to a different circle. I have played probably five hours, and I've not really gotten out of that starting circle yet. I would say it is kind of hardcore. It seems to get a little bit easier once you get more familiar with how things work. Basically, you will start out with just a few basic tools, and there's a menu bar along the side of your screen, and you can click it and look at what you need to make a specific tool. As example, I would say the first two tools you want to make pretty much right away is an axe so that you can chop wood and get some logs, and also a mining pick so you can bust up the big rocks and get little rocks and flint. Flint is needed Pretty much for all of the basic tools like the axe and the mining pick and the shovel. Once you have those, you can start, you know, chopping down some trees, smashing up some rocks. And from those, you can build slightly cooler things. Like with just, I think it's grass and some sticks, you can build a basic campfire-like thing. But if you can get some rocks, you can build up a fire pit, which once it goes out in the morning, the fire pit rocks will still stay there. So you just have to go over to the pit and drop some more logs in and it will stoke up the fire. Fire is critical and then it goes through a day and night cycle and once it gets dark, if you are in the dark, you instantly die. The monsters just kill you and you just go blah and you die and all your stuff falls out of you. It's kind of funny to watch. But you have to be careful and you know if you see your guy say it's so dark then you want to get to somewhere that's lighter very quickly. Also minor tip, when you are at nighttime and you have a fire going, If you click on the fire to examine it, quote-unquote, he'll say it's nice and comfy if it's high enough. Or if it's getting low, he'll say, you know, it's starting to get a little low. And then just drop in another log and it will, you know, make it brighter. Because the lower it gets, you know, the smaller your area of light is and and the greater the chance the monsters will either wander in or just outright kill you if you get in too dark of a spot. There are various things to gather in the first area. Like I said, I haven't gotten past the first area pretty much. i I gotten killed trying to get past it. Because there are monsters, which I will not mention because they're kind of spoilery. But in the first area, you'll pretty much immediately see bunnies and you'll see birds. And you may see a turkey. I have played 
several games where I haven't seen a turkey. But, you know, you'll hear them go, and then they'll poke out of a bush and start walking around. One game, they were, like, all over the place. I had, like, three or four of them on the screen at any one time. And uh, the last few games I played, I didn't see any at all. So turkeys are kind of random, but bunnies and birds will always be there. I will not kill the bunnies, but I will happily trap the birds and eat them. As I said, if you open up your menu bar, you can see the stuff that you have access to. Some of the basic things you have access to is a trap, which will allow you to trap the bunnies. I think you have to research the bird trap. I am not sure on that one. And it will show, you know, the various parts you need to get it. So you pretty much always know what to look out for. And one of my biggest tips in playing Don't Starve is don't rush it. Look for food. Yeah, you know, you need food to stay alive for sure. And you have a a hunger and health meter on the right side of your screen. So you always know, you know, how hungry you are. So look for food. You know, once you build a campfire, cook that food if you can cook it. Like berries, you can cook the berries. And then, you know, keep that in your bag so you have enough food. But once you gather, you know, enough food, take your time, look around, flush out the map, find out where various things are if you don't have access to them yet. Like if you, you know, don't have a mining pick, but you see some mining stuff, you know, try and mentally note it. It sometimes will be marked on your map, you know, for future reference, so you don't always have to worry about it. You know, take that time, you know, don't rush around trying to beat the daylight. You know, if you have enough food, you have enough food and, you know, explore and take your time and be careful. The point of the game is not to go as fast as you can, but to stay alive. So I think that's probably been one big hurdle for me is I tend to rush things a little bit too fast. I tend to see something cool and I run right at it instead of being cautious. I won't do any spoilers about that, but, you know, like I said, you know, there are surprises for you. It is not our world you're playing in. So there are very definitely different things to watch out for and be cautious about. As I mentioned, you might need to research some stuff. And to do that, you have a science machine. You need gold, I think, and then some rocks and something else. They're pretty much basic stuff that you need to make this science machine. Although gold will only come out of a big rock. So you have to have a mining pick to get to that. But once you build the science machine... You just kind of drop stuff in it, and it will give you points. Not sure what they're called. I will call them, uh, let's say, research points. And each thing will require a certain amount of research points before you can unlock it. And then once you unlock it, you know, you can make it. Like one of the things I decided to unlock early on was log armor, which actually haven't had a chance to use yet. But the good thing is I discovered that even if you start a new game, everything you've unlocked and all of your unused research points will stick around. So I have log armor unlocked forever. And that's basically how the whole game goes. There are things to explore, stuff to gather, stuff to make, and you're just trying to not starve and survive the crazy stuff that is going on in this world. I like it quite a bit. Like I said, I think it's a little bit more hardcore and really works better if you take it as sort of a hardcore simulator game that you're going to play for a while. The last game I played, I think it lasted about five days and it was 45 minutes. And I had just then flushed out sort of that first starting area. So it definitely seems like something, you know, that will take a while. You know, this is something that's probably going to be, you know, quite a while. You know, you play for a while, you save it and you walk away and you come back to play again, you know, later in the future. But I would say it is very cool, and you should look at picking it up either when it launches or, you know, just do what I do and get it now and go ahead and play. One cool thing that they are probably still doing that they were doing when I bought it was I paid, I think, 12 bucks for it, and it gave me two codes for the game. So I got in, and they said, you can give this code to somebody else to play. So I gave it to one of my bestest friends to play. And I don't know if that's for the whole game or if that's just for the beta. I would assume... It's, you know, two codes for the whole game because that would be kind of weird if it was just beta access. But I don't know. Um, I guess we'll find out in a little bit. It probably isn't going to be that much at launch. I would think it's going to be like 10 to 15 bucks from the looks of it. And if you're into survival type things, I would recommend it. I am playing it probably a little bit more hardcore than you can play it. Because I sort of have a rule that if I've flushed out the first area enough and I, you know, die and lose that game, I will tell it to create a new world. 
it does not automatically create a new world every time. So in theory, if you play a game and then you die and you start a new game, you could go on that same map that you already know and the stuff that you remember, you know, will still be in that same place. So it won't generate, you know, a different map until you tell it to generate a different map. But I like the challenge. I like to see different things. And I've certainly seen different things in each map I've generated. Like I said, that one map I generated had a bunch of turkeys. And the map I have currently going, which I'll probably reset when I play again. But that map seems to have no turkeys at all. And it has other things, which I will not mention. Because they would be spoilers. So yeah, as far as difficulty goes, I don't think there is any kind of easy, medium, hard difficulty. It just is the game, and that's, you know, a single difficulty setting. But like I said, you know, if you die, you can play a new game, and it'll be on the exact same map, so you'll know, you know, what's where if you have a good memory. So that will make it easier and harder. And of course, since stuff you research stays researched, the more you play, you know, in theory, the better you'll do. Because you'll be like, oh, I unlocked this, I need to get this, you know, sooner. Or this map area has this resource and is short on that resource. So I want to do this instead of that. And in theory, you know, you can work out how to make the game easier or harder for yourself if you so choose. Like I said, if you are into survival type things, which is pretty much a new genre, I would say you should definitely check it out. First look. Those of you who follow my site pretty regularly, or have listened to all of my podcasts, or I guess just some of them, may recall I do a thing called a game watch, which is calling attention to games which might not be getting quite as much attention, or which deserve, I guess you could call it special attention. There's a something in the news lately that is a piece of hardware that I wanted to talk about. So game watch doesn't really apply, because it's not a game. So I came up with this new thing and made the silly intro noise for a first look, which I will use probably not more than maybe a couple times a year, I would think, for any kind of new hardware that's coming along or anything, you know, that is not a game that I might want to call attention to. And unlike the Game Watch, which I will reserve for pretty much no more than three months out from when the game is launching, The first look may happen, you know, more than three months away from the actual product launch. This first, first look is for NVIDIA's Project Shield, which I'm sure everybody's just going to call Shield. It is basically NVIDIA entering, or trying to enter, the handheld gaming market. It was presented in sort of a surprise announcement at CES over the last weekend. It is a full-size game controller, which has a 5-inch multi-touch screen with 1280x720 resolution, otherwise known as 720p, which is at 294 dpi, which at this time makes it a sharper screen than other phones and mobile devices out there of its size. Though I have seen a few commercials lately for phones with 1080p resolution, So depending on, you know, when those launch and when the shield launches, it may or may not be the sharpest thing out there, as it were. It has a quad-core CPU and a GPU with 72 cores, making it a decent advancement on chips used in phones and tablets, and even a little bit more powerful, I think, than those that are in netbooks. The controller has the same number of buttons you'd find on any console game controller. It has built-in speakers, HDMI, so it can output the video to a regular monitor. It has Wi-Fi for connectivity. And it has a micro SD card slot for, I guess, you know, expanded storage. It's currently unstated how much storage will be built into the unit. It's possible they don't actually know yet. And it's also not stated if the micro SD card will be the main, you know, source of storage. Or if it will have, you know, a certain onboard amount of storage. Though if it can connect to your PC and, you know, move games on and off, I don't, I don't see that you would need a huge amount of storage. 
But if the games are, you know, full-size games, you're looking at between 2 and 5 gig per game. So, you know, that'll get pretty pricey in terms of storage pretty quickly. The timing on the announcement seems a bit odd because, as I said before, NVIDIA is basically going surprise. And it's like nobody knew it was coming and nobody knew it was in production, you know, except for, you know, behind the closed doors people who kept it a secret. They're supposedly launching in quarter two which means April, May, or June, just three to five months from now. Why could S.H.I.E.L.D. fail? With a surprise announcement, it seems a bit premature. Every handheld, in fact every gaming system there is, will live or die based on the games that are available at launch. NVIDIA is a graphics chip manufacturer. They don't even manufacture the cards themselves. They leave that to third-party developers. This means that for the S.H.I.E.L.D., they are making the specs... They're making the CPU, GPU chip, and that's pretty much it as far as I know. Everything else, games, the rest of the hardware, you know, the shell for the controller, all of that is up to somebody else. Without support from game developers, the system is pretty much doomed to fail. The target market for the system is also a bit confusing. While no one would argue a portable gaming system is better with a full controller device, there are several curious things about the Shield. It has a touchscreen, and it's running on Android, which means they might be targeting touch-style gaming. And touch-style gaming might be a bit odd, with the controller attached to the screen. I think many might feel that the controller is just getting in the way of, you know, using the touch device as a touch device. With a full controller, they might be targeting the quote-unquote hardcore gamers, and looking at full console games. But console games have historically not done well on handheld platforms because they're either stripped-down versions of the full game or simply bad ports. Why could it succeed? With NVIDIA basically being an unknown in handheld gaming, the market is wide open for developers to embrace the system. If the right games are made that take advantage of both the power and the controller, it could do really well in a handheld market. Final Thoughts and Opinions Unlike Sony or Nintendo, where people know there will be a half dozen titles at launch, NVIDIA's Shield has exactly zero titles that people will expect to see. Since there is no attention being called to must-have games specifically being made for the Shield, my guess is there really aren't any planned for launch. They also announced this streaming technology called The Grid, which looks like they may be targeting users of that service for you know their handheld unit. However, in order to use the grid, in order to stream games from their PC, they actually have to have a PC, you know, that's powerful enough to run the games on. And so it just kind of doesn't make sense. Why would people play a PC game, you know, that's right there on their PC on a handheld device? It's like the few people I've ever known that wanted to have like a living room experience actually already had, you know, a long HDMI cable going from their system to said living room device. And they either had a wireless controller or, you know, a controller with a cable long enough. And again, you know, wireless headphones or headphones with long enough cable. You know, it's not that difficult to set your system up for living room play. And as to the possibility for Android gaming, all the people I know that are interested in Android gaming are already doing Android gaming on their, you know, Android phone. And so they don't need, you know, an extra device to do Android gaming. Price is also going to be an issue. With the tech they've shown, I'm guessing it's going to be very difficult to keep the unit under $250 to $300 at launch. In fact, a launch price of $300 to $350, which included a game or two, really wouldn't surprise me at all. The announcement of, you know, the unit coming in quarter two just a few months from now kind of looks like a premature thing to get attention from both the media and, you know, that 1% of gamers who do have extremely disposable income. And then my guess, the Shield exclusive games and sort of the games that really show off the system are probably targeting this holiday season and that NVIDIA is going to ramp up production yeah, and really expect to do the bulk of the sales then when they've got more games out and people have actually seen the device in action and it has some reviews and such. Personally, I think size will be an issue. When most people think about portable gaming, they think about, well, being portable. They like to put a unit in their pocket, even if it's a tight fit, and they like having the unit easy to carry. The shield is pretty big. It looks like it's about the size of if you took both your hands and clasped them together. It's 
slightly bigger, I think, than a full-size large console controller. So while it's not impossible for people to carry that around, it's certainly not, you know, something small like your phone or something like, you know, double the size of the phone that you fold in half and put in your pocket. This is not something that's going to fit in your pocket at all. Might fit in your backpack, might fit in a small case, but it's, you know, very definitely something extra you're going to have to carry. It really comes down to the games more than anything else. With a design between a phone and a full console system, it's unclear who the system is targeted for. There will need to be games that support both of those features and are more than just you can use the Shield to play these PC games or you can use the Shield to play these Android games. It has to be something more than that. If it never goes beyond that, I don't see why people would be interested in it because people would just play their PC games on their PC and they'd play their Android games on their Android device. I don't see why they would spend an extra... Again, I'm going to guess like 250 bucks to be able to have the privilege of doing either, you know, on a single device. And again, if the games are little more than ports from, you know, their regular PC or console version, again, I don't see a reason why people would play it on the Shield instead of playing it on their console system or their PC. Time will tell if NVIDIA can make Shield a success but I really think it will come down to developer support and getting the cost down into the less than $200 range. So my movie for this week is kind of new. It is new in that it just hit the rental boxes. So, you know, it's out on DVD and Blu-ray and, you know, rental. It is, I think, a little bit old in that it came out probably, I would guess, between four and six months ago. So it is older in that sense. But it, you know, it's recent. It is called Looper. And it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, and Emily Blunt. It is science fiction, but it mostly revolves around sort of drama and action, which is kind of timeless. It is set in the future. I think they mentioned 2044. I don't know really why they mentioned a year, because it's kind of irrelevant. And 2044 sounds a little too close to be what they are doing in the movie. The movie revolves around a character named Joe, who is what they call a looper. In the future, 30 years from the future of the movie, time travel is invented and quickly outlawed and used by gangs who basically control everything. And anybody the gang doesn't like, they want to get rid of, they send them back in time and a looper will kill them. So, you know, the problem is erased, as it were. And why I say it seems like it's a little bit too close is that they have telekinetics who can do minor telekinetic stuff. And besides that, they have a little bit futuristic technology. There is a hover bike featured in a couple of the scenes, and that is apparently a new sort of creation for their world. The cars have sort of adapters going from their fuel tank to their exhaust, which kind of implies that they've developed some sort of recycling system and don't use gas anymore. The biggest difference, though, is it seems like the economy has collapsed and that governments don't really exist anymore because there seems to be sort of two classes of people. There's people who are just kind of trying to get by and they're kind of, I think they're called vagrants in the the movie is their like official term. And then there's sort of the gang leaders who sort of control everything. And it's not like completely, totally chaotically lawless. It is sort of a balanced society. But people are kind of getting killed and threatened and shot pretty much right and left. I mean, it's not happening all the time, obviously. But it does seem more like a sort of society that's in like an Old West or a gangster movie from, you know, the 1940s. So there's this sort of weird, it's the future, but it's sort of a 1940s kind of in the future kind of thing. 
And it's kind of hard to describe the movie without understanding a little bit about time travel. And by my understanding, there are pretty much two prevailing theories of time travel. There is a single time stream theory, which movies like Back to the Future and Time Cop, Butterfly Effect, and kind of most of the movies that have to do with time travel sort of revolve around where if you go back in time and change something, it affects all of the time stream from that point forward. And that there is only one time stream, and that all people that live in all times only live in that one stream. And if the stream changes, you know, all the people get pushed to whatever the the new time thing is. And so there are effects that happen in the past that will, you know, affect the future. And the sort of second prevailing theory, which isn't used quite as much, is that there's sort of multiple time streams. Something like Terminator has this kind of in their lore. To do a minor spoiler as example from Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, one of the characters comes from the future, and later in the series, somebody who is his girlfriend comes from a future as well. And it's not discovered until several episodes later, I think it's maybe like a third or half of that season later, that they discover that his girlfriend came from a different future. So even though they were both, you know, together in both of their futures, she came from one where she was pregnant and they lost the baby, whereas he came from a future that she wasn't ever in that situation and she didn't get pregnant. And so they never lost a baby in his future. But when they both came back to, you know, the present, as it were, for lack of a better term, you know, they both met up from different futures. So, big, long, rambly explanation there, but when you're watching Looper, and you're thinking about it later, or maybe as you're watching, though it's better to watch and think about later, Looper is basically a single timeline movie style, but for a very, very brief time at you know, this point and this point. It is a multi-universe style, and it creates a loop into the single time stream format. And that's part of why they call it Looper. So basically, the movie is the character Joe, and we're following young Joe, and he gets to a point in his present when he meets future Joe. And thus, chaos ensues, and we go into this whole thing, which makes the movie very interesting. So it's very hard to describe without doing any spoilers. But like I said, you know, it's science fiction. It's a little bit in the future. Not a whole lot of technology, so it's not really important that it's in the future. But there are a few, you know, minor differences that make it interesting. The decent amount of action. One thing I thought was kind of funny was that Garrett Dillahunt was in it as one of the sort of higher-up gang sort of enforcer guys. And I found that funny because he was in Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles and he was a Terminator from the future. And so, you know, that was kind of funny that both movies had to do with time travel. But basically, Looper is a story about what happens to the characters. There's a lot of action. There's some emotional stuff about, you know, should I do this because X happens in the future and, you know, I have to prevent it by doing it now kind of stuff. And so it's very cool. Can't really talk about it that much without doing any other spoilers. But if you are into sort of action, I guess you could say adventure dramas that have to do with, you know, science fiction and time travel specifically, you might want to check it out at your favorite rental place. The cycle of life and death continues. We will live, they will die. So I'm still playing League of Legends. Why the hell am I still playing League of Legends? I don't know really. So I've thought about it and I've come up with a few points as to possibly why. Which makes me very happy because it allows me to do some 
social gaming stuff and, you know, philosophy kind of stuff, which I haven't been able to do in a while. I've been doing mostly just review kind of stuff, which is cool because I know people like to hear it. But, you know, I like to think about and theorize why I play something or why other people might play something. As I mentioned before, one of the biggest disadvantages to League of Legends and all, I think they call them MOBA type games, don't know what that stands for, is that it basically really only has one map. There's three different game types, but really everybody just plays the one, even though there is one map for each game type. Really, I would guess probably 85 to 95% of the time, everybody just plays the one map. So, one map, not terribly interesting. The second huge disadvantage is, you know, one disadvantage that comes with all online games where people can chat or talk, and that is there may be people who are asshats in your game. I'm sticking with the players versus AI on basic setting because there tends to be mostly friendly people there or people who are, you know, trying to figure out the game so they're staying quiet. I should be playing intermediate according to the level of my account. But I found that that is really quite a step up in difficulty. And there seems to be a much higher chance for ashatry, as the phrase goes. Because people are, you know, kind of expecting the players to be a lot better. And and a lot of them seem to think they're just the most awesome thing on the planet. Which is like... If you're so awesome, why aren't you doing PvP like the game is supposed to be instead of, you know, still practicing on AI? So that's my main comeback for the asshats there. But I don't know, I I like basic a lot better because I get a lot more of these influence points, I think they're called, which is what you use to buy the characters with and other stuff. On intermediate, you know, if I won and did well, I I should get more points. But so far, I've tried three or four times, I think, and every time we've lost. So it hasn't been worth the time or effort. Rather, just play on basic, have more fun, learn more about which characters I like, and, you know, get more characters, and then move to intermediate later. So these are some pretty huge disadvantages to things online that typically, you know, make me not interested in playing. For those of you who are long-time listeners, you will know that pretty much the main reason why I stop playing online games is because they get kind of boring, and I wind up just pretty much being by myself and not having anyone to talk to. So here, we're starting on the basis of a single map, which is not terribly interesting to begin with. And it's a quick, I guess you could call it, arcade-style game. So it's not like it's a long game and it's, you know, a huge map. And there's, you know, a much higher chance for ashatry because, you know, the games are so short and people pretty much don't expect to see each other again. You know, in an online MMOG kind of world, you're at least in the same level range doing the same dungeons, and you'll probably run into each other, you know, eventually. But with something like this, you know, there's a lot more anonymity, I suppose you could say. So it's like, why am I still playing? There are a few points, I think, that are good and possibly why I'm still playing and still interested in playing at least for the time being you know like I keep saying I really don't know how long I'll stay interested because I think once these points are kind of fulfilled I might not be interested anymore anyways I thought I would ramble about them and and tell you my points as to why I find it interesting maybe you might want to take a look at game it's 100% free to download and play so you can just pick it up and play it But more importantly, I think these reasons are kind of important for social gaming overall and kind of, you know, important to me as a person and might be important to you as a person to figure out, you know, why am I playing this kind of game? What am I looking for in games? What do I find interesting about games, etc.? So we might know, you know, a little bit more about ourselves. One of the things I kind of briefly mentioned there is that the game is kind of simple. You know how to win, you know the rules, and you know what is sort of required to, you know, fulfill your role and accomplish those goals. The game is pretty quick. In general, it's 20 to 45 minutes. I've not really gotten through a game in less than 20 minutes, but supposedly it can be done. So it's not really a huge commitment. You know, it's very attractive to people who only have, you know, maybe an hour to play. You can get one or two games in. 
There's no, like, looking for group. I mean, you know, you make a group of five people to, you know, fight. It's not like you have to really look for a group. You just say, I'm looking for a game, and it matches five people together, and, you know, it's really quick. It's not like a dungeon, which can take, you know, a really long time, depending on who you're looking for in a standard MMOG. Like I said, the versus AI on basic setting does have some pretty friendly people. So it's kind of like you're kind of in this place where you're doing something together. And, you know, there's sometimes friendly people to chat with about it. Sometimes they just talk, you know, about friendly stuff and are friendly people in general. Sometimes we'll chat about different strategies of, you know, different characters or how to play in general. Or sometimes we'll talk about, you know, different team roles and which characters are good at which roles. There is probably something to learn about yourself. As with all games, as you play the game and learn, you know, how to play the game, you learn what aspects of that game you yourself are better at doing. And of course, as I said, you know, part of the reason why I'm doing these sort of chats on my podcast is that, you know, the more you learn about the games you like and the more you learn about yourself, the more you learn about, you know, how you enjoy games overall. In this case in particular, there are tons and tons and tons of what they call champions, who are your people that you use in the game. And you get one character and they have four activatable abilities. Sometimes they're passive abilities, but mostly they're active. And they have one special thing about them that is, you know, not really controllable. It's just part of a character. Like one of the characters I like to play, part of his special thing is that the more speed he gets, you know, in terms of movement, it increases his attack damage because he's a centaur guy and his powers are kind of based around, you know, charging and running in and cleaving. So he's all about speed and movement. So part of the game that is interesting is figuring out which champions I like to play and which power types and, you know, which powers specifically I might be interested in using. Part of both the good and bad thing on that is that they all pretty much start out locked. And each week, I don't know how many, I've never really counted. I would guess somewhere around maybe 8 to 10 characters are unlocked. And so those are the free ones for that week. And so you can check out any of those as long as somebody else on your side doesn't take that character. Because only one person on each side can take a specific character. So it gives you a chance to, you know, check out different characters, see which ones you like, see which kind of powers you like. And then, as I said, throughout the game, you get these influence points, and the influence points will permanently unlock them. So once they are out of the weekly rotation, you can still use them, you know, anytime you want. Another big thing that I mentioned in the chat about how I feel like I'm missing something from current games is that there is actually a decent amount of strategy. As I talked about, there's a lot of different champions, and each ones have different abilities. So I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I like this character, and I like this other character. You know, what do you guys think I should do, you know, to fulfill a more balanced team role? Because, you know, you kind of want a mix of different characters on your team, though <laughs> you only have like 30 seconds to pick, so can't do a lot of strategy. It will probably you know, come down to me sort of memorizing which characters do which things and figuring it out for myself. But, you know, part of the thing I like to do in games is to, you know, help out my team, help out my group. So part of the strategy that is keeping me interested in the game is figuring out which champions I like, you know, what have the other people on my team picked, what do they think, you know, we're missing, do I have, you know, a champion unlocked that would fulfill that role, and, you know, if not... You know, could I work towards unlocking one that I might like that is like that? So there's kind of a lot of strategy in, you know, figuring out what roles I like, what characters fulfill those roles, and how does that fit into the group at that time. As I said, there's different things to unlock. There's the champions themselves. There's totally non-game influencing skins you can put on them. So it's like if you really like this character, you can get, you know, a special look for them. Kind of like, you know, how you have your own miniatures and you paint up the ones you really like. There's also stuff for your summoner, which are talents. You you get little tiny talents that will influence things like half a percent or something. You bump that up, you know, two or three times and get, you know, 
couple percent here and there. There are runes, which will unlock, which there's different kinds of runes and stuff to socket into your rune page. And it's kind of the similar thing. I have some that give me like half a percent better regeneration, like plus 1% on critical damage, you know, things like that. They're pretty small again, so I'm sure they're not going to have, you know, any kind of real impact until I get much higher summoner level. I am, I think, 11 now, and it goes to 30. And pretty much I think you don't really get into PvP until, like, 20+. plus. So I've still got, you know, quite a ways to go before I'm really into the thick of things, as it were. But I think because there is that sort of overall thing that I retain by playing, you know, even though the game is sort of this quick arcade, you know, sort of chess-like, you put your piece down on the board and then you go and then the game is over and you reset the board, you know, even though there is that, there's still that sort of classic chess-like strategy game of, you know, there's this strategy for this piece and this strategy for this piece and this strategy, you know, for the board overall and Depending on what's going on over here, I might want to do this or that. But, you know, it's in a fun, video gamey, fast, arcade style. So I really don't know why I'm still playing. I mean, I've got all those points. Maybe in my previous chat where I said I feel like I'm missing this kind of game, maybe in some way this fulfills some of the requirements of that game. Like I said, I am kind of looking for something that has some strategy, something that has you know, a social, I guess you could call it casual element to it. But, you know, something where we can also, you know, chat about strategy and, I guess, you know, in this case, role of the particular champions and figuring out, you know, what strategy works for me, which, you know, characters I like that have that strategy, you know, what kind of powers I like to use. So, in a way, you know, I am learning how to play the game better, but also I'm learning you know, what about me with these powers? You know, what do I like to play? Which will carry over, you know, into other games. Things I have liked from other games have carried over here. It's like I mentioned that the one character that I really like a lot that I, I actually don't have access to currently, which is kind of sad. He's a centaur and he does a lot of charge things. And having a charge in a way to, you know, chase down bad guys is something I do like from other you know, standard MMOG games. So I knew, you know, I, I like that. And similarly, you know, if I play a tank, I really hate not having, you know, a way to chase down or slow down the bad guys. Because then it's like, you know, they're running away and you're just like, well, bye, I guess, because I can't catch up to you. So, you know, things I've learned in other games also carry over to here. And I'm sure vice versa. Maybe this helps you, maybe not. Obviously, you can only figure out what works for you, you know, through your own thinking about it. But maybe some of these ideas will, you know, also apply to you or give you ideas to think about on your own. This isn't happening, Dale. We're not here. It's just a bad dream. Oh, I agree completely. Why, we'll wake up any minute to harbor and have a laugh about all this. So I guess that is it for this week's Rabbit's Rumblings. So much rambling this time. As a side note, if you are hearing this side note, I am now going to be doing my podcasts in stereo. However, my voice is still just going to be mono. My microphone actually only records in single channel. So, you know, mono. So right now, uh, only the music will be in stereo. But I figure, you know, if it doesn't increase the file size too much, you know, it might be worth it for that little bit extra, you know, coolness for those with sensitive ears. And of course, if it does, you know, increase the file size too much, I will cut this part out and you won't hear this part. And it will be, you know, just as it always has been through the previous 89 podcasts. But if you are hearing this rambling, then it will be slightly cooler for the music 
from now on if the music, you know, is in stereo. Some of the stuff I use, you know, is older and not in stereo. I am mostly over my cold, I think. I'm still a little bit confused, sometimes easily distracted, I guess, more than generally confused. There's a little bit of stuff going on in my throat. Still coughing up and yuck comes out sometimes. You know, congested sounding like it was last time. Not as much anyways. Still a little bit, I think. Tonal range is still a little bit off. In general, I feel okay, I guess. Slightly happier overall, maybe. Which is, you know, a good thing. Will be much better when it gets into springtime and, you know, things are not as cold. I did check my stats the other day because they weren't working and so I had to be like, what's going on? And so they reset them and I guess they still retained the old data. So that's awesome. I was worried it would have to reset it and I'd have to wait like six months to get any kind of real stats. But the stats, you know, that were there before are still there. So that's cool. And I checked them out and did the maths. And the maths are, you know, not great, but it's basically I take the number of downloads for the podcasts and divide by, you know, the time period and how many podcasts are available. And it's, you know, probably not very accurate at all. But the average that was about 60 to 70 last time I checked, and it's been, I don't know, a few months since I checked maybe, is now averaging at 400. So I have, in theory, considerably more listeners. Hello, new listeners. Yay. Though, like I said, you know, it's just a dividing and getting an average. So, you know, I could get a few new listeners who are downloading every single podcast. And so that might throw things off a little bit. I don't know. I'll probably check every few months and see if it stabilizes or goes up or down. But more listeners is happy. That's cool. So for the new listeners, just a quick mention. I am still homeless. I have been for... It was like four and a half years off the top of my head now, a little bit more, because it was in July, so it, you know it's middle of the year and we're half a month past the halfway mark there. And so, you know, I have no money in savings right now because I don't work a whole lot, especially at winter. Pretty much I work a lot during the summer and then ramps down to almost nothing pretty much the other three quarters of the year. So if you find my podcast cool and entertaining and interesting, and if you would be like, hey, I'll buy you lunch, you know, if you saw me in person, you know, you might want to consider donating because that helps me, you know, buy food. And like I said, I have nothing in savings right now. So if anything bad happened, I'd be, you know, pooped out of trouble. So, you know, more money is always good because, you know, if something happens, I'll have money for that. Or something like, you know, I want to talk about a particular game on my podcast, but I don't have, you know, money in the budget for it. You know, extra money would help with that. You can also check out my wish list on Amazon. And if there's anything on there you want to get me, that would be cool too. Then obviously I'd have the game instantly or movie, whatever. And of course, being able to put money into savings would be awesome in general. You know, help me eventually get back on my feet into a home. And until that happens, you know, money in case my laptop dies is always good. Because, you know, a new one would be, you know, about 1200 to 1500 And right now I have zero of that. So, you know, if there was a catastrophe, uh, my laptop would be gone and that would be that. I would not be able to game. And my podcast would rapidly not become very interesting. So, welcome new people. Um, if you would like to donate, you know, that would be awesome. If not, you know, I totally understand. And, you know, as always, in general, if you have other podcasts you listen to or other entertainer-type people that you find interesting, you know, you might want to consider donating to them. And if you, you know, you can't donate or, you know, it's a bad time for you for donating, you know, just send them a little note and, you know, say thanks and why you like their show. Because we who do these things don't really get a lot of... uh I guess you could say positive reinforcement or thank yous. And it's always, you know, really nice to get that. And of course, you can always, you know, put stars on the iTunes store or I suppose wherever else there might be reviews. I still don't think I have any, which is very sad. But, you know, it's okay. I am okay with being small. Sad, but okay. So that's all I can think of. 
So I guess that is it for this Rabbit Zomblings podcast. And I guess I will see everybody next time. Okay, thanks. Bye. Making it a decent advancement. <coughs> Making it a decent advance. <coughs> the target, the target market for the, the target market. Many can feel that the, many might feel that the. Any sort of. It is science fiction, but it mostly revolves. So I'm still playing League of Legends. Why the hell am I still playing League of Legends? Who let the dogs out? Woof, woof, woof. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www dot rabbit dot com slash podcast slash rabbits ramblings dot html if you would like to send me an email you can do so at rabbit at rabbit dot com if you friend me you can also post on facebook at rabbit dot com you can follow me on twitter and youtube at rabbit dot com it's rabbit dot com but with not a period when you type Rabbit's Ramblings, don't use the space, and be sure to put the number 1 in place of I whenever you type Rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2013 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.